Welcome to Descender from Klarna, a podcast where we dive deep into the design career topics we all think about, but don't talk enough about. I'm Rachel Rosenson, a design lead at Klarna. Each episode of our show, I'll talk with different designers about how they've navigated these tricky questions and what milestones or bumps they've hit along the way. This week, we have two very special guests. First, welcome to the podcast, Elisabetta Potokina. She's a pianist and a hybrid designer fueled by coffee, coffee, and more coffee. Hailing from Russia, her work ranges from using UI and UX to educate Klarna users about offers and deals in their checkout process, to crafting animations for Visa and the Mobile World Congress Conference. Check out her latest illustrations and animations on dribble.com slash Lisa Keener. How's it going, Elisabetta? Hi, Rachel. Nice to be here. Thank you. It's going well. Cool. Very, very excited. Cool. We're excited to have you. And also joining us today is Yunatan Andersson. He's a curious designer focused on elegant, adaptable solutions. His work varies across product spaces, from working with vehicles at Scania, MedTech at Sectra, and service design projects at the Swedish Migration Agency. Most recently, he's focusing on how merchants can use Klarna to boost their consumer's experience. He cannot play a traditional instrument like Elisabetta, but he can use his bare hands as a flute, soon coming to a concert hall near you. Yunatan, do you have a little bit of a flute song that you could play for us? Uh, yeah, sure, and hi, of course. I mean, I, I, I can really do it. I think one, <laughs> one song that comes to mind, I think Dancing Queen with, with Ava is a pretty cool song. So I'll maybe I'll do that one. In hindsight, I probably should have spent the time trying to learn about this, playing the piano like Lisa. But uh, hindsight is, you know, is 20, I, I, I guess. I, I, after hearing this masterpiece, I can tell you seven years of playing the piano were <laughs> completely worthless. Yeah, it really sounds like a flute. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit weird, right? Incredible. So welcome, guys. You both have such a wide variety of professional experiences and also design disciplines under your belt. So I'm so excited to hear how such diverse designers think about today's topic of how much should I pay attention to design trends? So let's get into it. And to start off, I just want to hear, what do you think is a design trend? I guess a trend is sort of like a pattern. Like when you start seeing it everywhere, I guess that's when it has succeeded in, in being a trend. Some of the most recent things that it comes to my mind is probably the bridge between our digital world and the physical world. Speech technology and AI are probably some very prominent ones that it comes to my mind. Do you have any... Anything that comes to your mind, Lisa? Or? I was just going to say the same. Basically, a thing becomes a trend when you see this repetition. And as Jonathan said, a pattern. When you start seeing this repetitive sequence, that is definitely a trend. And it can be anything. It can be a trend with the social media. It can be a trend in fashion. In our world, in visual design, definitely some visual design trends like graphic design elements. It can also be a specific interaction design like with our screens on phones and the swiping pattern became a thing and it became more applicable to more and more features. We can swipe through navigation, swipe to have a different song playing, being streamed and so forth. So yeah, that is definitely a trend can come from many different places. And as designers, 
are you striving to create trends or use trends or avoid trends? How are you thinking about this in your daily work? As a designer, I would say it's super, super important to have good expectations um, set by the user when, when interacting with anything, pretty much. And I think if there is a very prominent trend and we decide to go against it, that might have some very bad results because the user might expect something to work in a certain way. And if we break that kind of pattern, we might have less excited users and, and bad stats overall. So I think it's very important to have that in mind. And I think certain trends are also powered by like technology. A pretty good example, I think, might be how 3D design has become so much more prominent in our everyday life. I think programs like Blender, which is a open source, free, very, very powerful 3D tool that's a direct competitor to the very expensive Cinema 4D. Like when that came to the market, I saw a rise in the... 3D world, which I think is very cool because I really enjoy those designs and illustrations. But I guess as soon as a new technology is made more available to its general audience, the trend might take off powered by said technology or tool specifically. This is actually such a good point of what Jonathan said with the technology. I think a lot of it is determined by it when we have new technology coming in. If we talk about product design, so one example is when Apple and iOS have a big update back in 2013, when basically we kind of stepped back from this three-dimensional design and went into a more soft shade, you know, very sleek design. That was the starting point of this big trend that is still going on for flat design, as opposed to what it was before. Very often a trend just emerges from technology and then designers get onto this wave. As a designer, probably you would want to create a trend, like you think about it, what would be the next thing. But then again, the point is not to create a trend, but to really help to move the product further and make it very functional and applicable for the audience. Whenever some new interaction pattern comes out, you want to keep an eye on it and not try to create something new just for the sake of it, like try to keep in mind what is already on the market. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's about usability. We wanna be creative and, and create wonderful things, but we want people to know how to use it. And, and like how you mentioned, Apple can just announce something and all of a sudden that's the latest design trend. So do you think a design trend has to come from a large company that is the change maker? That's a very good question. I don't think necessarily it has to come from the big company, but with big companies like Google and Apple, it's just the most visible example. It's just very easy to kind of keep an eye on what they're doing and track. Whenever it comes out, it's this big announcement. Designers are aware of it. When Google had the material design guidelines, that was also a very big step forward to setting an example of how to unify design things, how to bring it to this big library, how their principles are working. And the, everybody started applying this type of thinking to their work too, if it was undocumented before. But it doesn't have to come from them. We need to strive, as I said, to try to create something new that fixes the problem and also take a holistic approach. It's just the matter of time, how you manage to solve the problem and then how usable that is. And what do you think? Like, does it have to come from big companies? 
Yeah, it's a very interesting question. I think big companies like Apple and Google, I guess they have three things going for them. Of course, they have fantastic designers. That's one of them. But they also have a very, very large user group. And with that large user group, I get back to the expectations. When they introduce a new pattern, a lot of people will get familiar with that pattern. And they also are insanely good at documentation, which they need to be as well, because they do own Android and iOS. They are responsible for, for creating a lot of the tools that we, of course, at Klarna use as part of our app library, et cetera. And I think that's one of the key factors for why they have a large impact on everyday life for all of us, of course, and all of other users, I guess. But to your point, I think when it comes to other design patterns, we are at the moment speaking a lot about like visual and digital design patterns. I think there are a lot of physical design patterns as well especially when it comes to the car markets. And there are a lot of trends where you might remove physical buttons in order to replace them with a screen, which makes a lot of sense when it comes to being able to create adaptive human interfaces that aren't really required to be manufactured in a factory. You can actually just push a software change and you have saved a lot of time and a lot of time to market as well. I think different companies own different parts of our design world, of course, but we are all part of it. Yeah, it's a great point. We talk a lot in digital design about bringing physical affordances into our world. But yeah, digital design now is so integrated into every part of our fabric that it's now actually influencing the physical, I feel like is, is a hallmark for how successful digital design has become. I'm curious, how do you decide where to look to for a design trend? How do you decide, I want to look at Google's documentation or I want to look at Tesla's new screen? Where does it come from? I guess to me, I think I want to see how other people solve similar problems or challenges that I try to solve as well. I guess everything is really boiled down into that kind of need. So when I worked at Scania, for instance, we of course had a look at our competitors. We worked with trucks and buses, but we also looked at like personal vehicles, Tesla, Volvo, Polestar, like they are all really pushing the boundaries uh, when it comes to the interaction, like for instance, we all probably are kind of familiar with how you fuel like your typical diesel car or whatever, but now we move into electricity. That's a whole other story. How are we going to make that as intuitive and as good as possible? There are so many new ways we can solve a traditional problems and we move into another way of actually making our vehicles move forward. But to be more concrete, I think just looking and interacting with other products, having a look at different shows, social medias, makes a lot of sense as well. Uh, like Dribbble, Behance, Medium, just learning more about the process, but also getting to interact with, with said product and concepts, of course, is something that I like to, to do a lot. What do you think, Lisa? What is your approach? So I don't specifically seek out for trends, to be honest. I don't sit down and, okay, I'm going to trends 2021. That doesn't happen very often. It's more about like, we touched upon it in the beginning, that you start to, to see a repetition. You just start seeing this pattern. You see things coming again from technology, from interaction design. What I usually do is that I actually started paying attention to ads even because I worked at a company and we did a lot of performance marketing and we put a lot of efforts to advertise on social media like Instagram and even TikTok. I always wanted to see good performance for the ads and how many people actually clicked and what we could do better. And since then I've started paying attention because I started to feel like you might actually 
see something interesting, a product, for example, uh, a service, especially in the digital world. Just recently, I looked through my Instagram feed and I saw some ad for a product which is helping you with your budgeting. And I was like, this looks interesting. And I checked the product and it was amazing. Visual design, just how easy it was to use, the use of typography, color. They had a personalization. You could change the layout if you wanted to in a very simple way. And it gave so much inspiration. So I'm just trying to notice things around and I might see something very, very interesting that would be applicable to my work. It's one of the ways to pay attention to what's really in the market because sometimes just Googling or going on Dribble, I love Dribble, but there was this even a joke that it, something becomes Dribble design. If there is a trend in visual, you start seeing it everywhere. This is another part of the problem. Then everybody is doing exactly the same thing. It's, and it's not necessarily something that actually reflects what's going on with the products that are live. So I mostly seek out live products and uh, draw inspiration from it. To... Yeah. One of the things that always drives me crazy is when I'm in a brainstorm with a PM and they'll just say, oh, this product did this onboarding. So we should do this onboarding. And to me, it always bugs me because if I look at our features, I know there's features that aren't perfectly optimized. I know there's things that we want to change, but we never get around to it. So I feel like just because it's live in another product doesn't mean it's successful, let alone, is it going to be successful in our product? I'm curious when you are reviewing trends or patterns that you see in other products, how do you understand, is this going to work for me or for what I'm building? Yeah, that is such a good point. I would say we are very cautious with looking and searching for a trend than trying to replicate or draw inspiration and apply to the product. I would say the rule of thumb is, of course, test. It can be like Rachel gave a good example of onboarding. That should be relatively easy to just set up for a test with your customers. So that's always something that helps. If you can't, you can always test internally if you're working at a design company and you're an in-house designer, let's say, you can grab people from your team and quickly do an interaction design test. So of course, through try and error, before you go live, go through these steps, that definitely helps. And for visual design, you really need to train yourself to have the eye and recognize something that is good and something that could work for you. Jonathan, do you have any examples how you uh, really determine whether it works or not and how to test a trend? The first thing that I like to do is basically just drawing out a flow from A to B and just see where or if it breaks somewhere, because I guess that's kind of the cheapest way to try out if this is something that would suit uh, the products that I work with. But as you mentioned as well, I think some of the issues we have with Dribble is that it's like a candy shop, right? Like it's mm. an eye candy, which will get pretty much anyone excited. I mean, there's so many fantastic things going on there. But I think the problem is also that it might be difficult to understand how this would work in reality. Because if you do draft your, your designs in Figma, you push it to After Effects, you create the ideal kind of setting where the user will have good eyesight, they will have the perfect internet connection, that will maybe give you an idea that, oh, wow, this is going to work for everyone, which is never the case, really. I mean, mm. Klarna is very much a 
worldwide company and internet as we know is not as as great in in all countries and with all these heavy imagery etc while it works for for me it might not work in other countries and i think that's super super important especially when it comes to accessibility and making sure that everyone is able to actually use our products it just goes back to the user test and make sure that all our potential users would really be able to enjoy these features that are being developed we need to make sure that our systems are really as available as they can be with screen readers and other accessibility tools, of course, mm -hmm. which might be difficult to, to really find out when you're just looking at the eye candy and, and driven. Right. Yeah. It's a great point, though, at a company at ours, we're in over 200 countries, we have over mm. 100 million users. And do you think then with such a huge diverse audience, are trends more important to lean into? Or because we have such a user base, can we define our own world and our own ecosystem because we have that kind of power within our own Klarna sphere? I think Klarna is a you know, super interesting company because of Klarna, everything is very powerful and quirky and, and cool. But on the other side as well, we work with some of the, the most cool companies in the world, right? And we have one powerful brand on our brand, but we also want to work with another very powerful brand. So when it comes to certain design trends, I think it's very important to also have the aspect of being kind of white label, because we want to live in a universe where we are part of a merchant's website as well. And certain products that we work with, especially Lisa and I, are going to live within another company's website. So when it comes to some of the trends that we might want to push, it's very important that these trends actually work in the the context of another company's website as well. When we are collaborating with a merchant, it's important that they get to shine as well. Like we should both in the podium, I guess. Yeah, exactly. We work in the sphere where merchant feedback is very, very crucial. And we try to provide great services. So as Jonathan says, we might want to look into what they want and be more white label, be more applicable to their styling with respect. But Klarna can be the trendsetters in that space. And we definitely are because basically we have large user base and our user base definitely likes us for who we are with our design culture. We just need to keep striving and see what, what is the next great thing that we can do. Yeah, it's interesting, this difference. It's come up in past episodes also talking about the difference in user research when you're working on a B2B side of things versus a B2C side of things. When you started working with merchants, how do you feel like your design process might have evolved or shifted based on these different needs? It is kind of a two-way street. So very often merchants, they already have a lot of knowledge and data that me as a designer, I might not be fully aware of because They've been doing this e-commerce for some time. They know their habits of their customers. They know what they want. They know how they want the placements and what styling they want to follow. And they might also have already feature requests or insights what could potentially work. So we might be driving our own research and hypothesis like I would do. But then the merchant would come and say, hey, we actually think that this feature is something that would work. This is where balance comes in. We want to be sure that we take that data and research that they have done into consideration in the way that we can merge it with what we think would work 
and kind of also make sure that we stay ourselves, that we are still Klarna. So we start to find a unified solution, so to say, how to take this feature and how to make, you know, considering all the trends that you as a designer might have and your team has, has been thinking about how to make it ours and then ship it and then be in this perfect unified world where everybody is happy. It's the dialogue and trying to find the right balance. That is the challenge. You described something that I think is so perfect to the context of trends where you said it's about taking the data the merchants are bringing and what they know works versus our opinion and our style and finding this balance. And I think that's the same mm -hmm. of trends, which is these are building blocks that are out there. And then this yeah. is who I am as a designer, or my style, and how are we creating successful designs? Exactly. Maybe bringing it back to some examples of design trends, like we mentioned earlier, going from skeuomorphic to flat design. And now with democratic design tools, we see skeuomorphic design is making a comeback. Yes. <laughs> as a designer, what do you think about that when trends flip-flop? Do you think it's critical to pay attention to it? Do you think it's just like, we got to push out something new, so we're revisiting mm. the past? What, what's that all about? Yeah, uh, it feels like we are trying to build, as you mentioned as well, Rachel, before, the relationship between having digital interfaces versus physical ones. It feels like they are becoming more and more intertwined. And it feels like the materialistic aspect, the look and feel that we're trying to take from the real world and applying to our digital interfaces is very much a trend. Uh, with that being said, I do know that there are a lot of criticism because it's not as accessible, like trying to design glass might look pretty cool. It might be animated in a beautiful way, but once again, for someone that doesn't really have the best kind of eyesight, it could be super problematic. That being said, maybe we haven't really discovered the perfect way to do this yet. And I think it's nice with, with trends going back and forth. Like one of the things that we are doing as Karna is we're moving to physical stores as well with our in-store offering. And something that we are doing as part of that launch is creating signage to, to tell the story about how you're able to go into a physical store and pay with the Karna app or a Klarna card. And one way to, to build a bridge between these signs and our app is QR codes, which is almost as old as I am. I think they were launched back in 94 <laughs> and they are making one hell of a comeback in my opinion. They're so big now again. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, which is very interesting. But I remember just a couple of years ago when you wanted to find a link to a QR code, it was such a hassle. Like mm -hmm. you needed to download a specific app, you oh, needed yeah. to do a lot of other things, but no, you just take your camera, point at it, and you are able to open a link. Yeah. It's so interesting, right? With the QR code, it's definitely the technology improved. Mm. But with the skeuomorphism, it's so funny, right? Like we started with it, we stopped, and then we we're coming back with a more defined and better looking stuff. Maybe it's just a natural cycle for some trends to emerge and then die off and then come back like phoenix birth or something it's in fashion too fashion from 90s is making a comeback maybe there is something else that will come back we will have to see 
the I'm very scared for 90s trends making a full comeback because <laughs> I don't want to go back to having to fully tweeze my eyebrows and those <laughs> tiger lines. You know, I was not looking forward to those jeans with really widened uh, bottoms. Yeah, they are kind of coming back, and I remember how I struggled with them that they were just all over the puddles on the streets and they were always like getting dirty but so maybe it's just how it works yeah but i think it's very cool when you take something something old and apply it into a new setting like similar to the qr codes i worked as a consultant before and we had a project where i designed a concept for basically a a city in sweden wanted to make the winter holidays more exciting so they wanted to let their inhabitants be able to control the lights within this kind of city. And while it would be kind of easy to just point it to a website where they're able to vote for different uh, light shows, maybe pick a color, etc., it wouldn't really work in reality because we weren't really sure if they were actually in the town where said lights would change. And that's when I'm going to speak a lot about QR codes, it, it seems like. <laughs> that's when we introduced the QR codes because they're so powerful in making sure that if you find this, you're probably in a very limited physical space where we know that if you make a change to the lightings, you are also going to be able to see that change. So I think it's a, a very neat thing to do. Once again, bridge in a physical, real world to our digital interfaces. I think it's very, very powerful. And I'm not sure if they, that's what they had in mind back in 94 when they invented it, but uh, it's kind of cool. It's mm -hmm. so true, though, with I, I think this should just be an episode on QR codes now. But, <laughs> but like with Corona, now there's QR codes in Berlin, at least on all the tables, because it's all about signing in for better contact tracing and also so that you can access menus so that there's less contact on different surfaces. But in the past, I feel like the only place I ever saw QR code at a restaurant was in airports and it was this really tacky, clunky feeling. But now that I'm using it daily, the idea that I would ever have to sit at a restaurant for 20 minutes until a waiter comes over to hand me a menu seems crazy. You could actually have such cool in-dining experiences and such richer experiences while still having face-to-face -face interactions with waiters. So design trends also change based on necessity, along with technology, with all of the changes that have happened in the past year and a half. Have you noticed any other ways that that has impacted design or products around you? I guess GPS features are becoming more prominent because we are maybe making more purchases online of things that we would traditionally go and buy ourselves. A lot of online companies are, are really changing the way to make purchases, especially the post-purchase experience, like truly understanding when and how my delivery is going to be made is such a key thing for me as a shopper. Mm -hmm. Also, yeah, like booking vaccinations, et cetera. That's also very cool. How we are forced to develop these new technologies in a nice way, simply because it's a crisis is both very daunting, but also very exciting because I, I think a lot of cool and very positive things are being created. As well. They definitely strengthened in the delivery field. And of course, we were all forced to use a lot of online tools. So I think like in general, probably many companies were forced into look into this digitalized approach, what tools to use 
and what is the best? One thing, of course, that has been a big part of my life and probably yours as well, but tools like Miro and, and Fig Jam more recently yeah. as well yeah, is, yeah. of course, such a big part of, of my workday in comparison to before. Because uh, in design back in the day, you would like have real whiteboarding, right? You would uh, gather in a room and do some kind of uh, card sorting on the whiteboard or just drawing on a whiteboard, having a retro there. Now there are like even tools to just conduct retrospectives in your team. And they're already built specifically for that purpose. Like you would have a few columns uh, and you would write cards and you would move them and, and reveal them when once the voting is over. This is how we digitalize those rituals. So that has been a trend too. So it's even trends in design process then and how that impacts process. I remember maybe seven or eight years ago, I feel like guerrilla user testing of go out on the street and show someone a prototype <laughs> yeah. was, was super cool and trendy. And, and I don't know the last time I saw someone present some guerrilla user research. It's interesting how these methodologies bubble up, but then also fade away. Now we just do it online. It's quite efficient, I must say. And you get all the aggregated data instantly. You get all the stats, percentages. So it makes my life much easier, but it loses the touch of the interaction. So we at least do like video sessions sometimes. Yeah, it's like a flat to skeuomorphic process for research as opposed to <laughs> maybe a hard question, but are there any design trends or design patterns that you feel like that would have been so cool, but it never really took off or mm -hmm. that, that you really love that failed or fizzled out and you're like, I want to bring that back. Oh, wow. That's a really difficult question. Like something that I've been seeing more and more people do, which I enjoy quite a lot, is very sophisticated motion design, which might be a bit problematic at times because our computers and our internet connection might not be able to take it. I really love this visual design trend, which was this isometric perspective where you have mm. basically fake 3D, but it's made with 2D tools. I used to make those and I loved it because you could make it look very 3D-ish, but without the use of any 3D software. It used to be everywhere. So many people would make those illustrations in different styles. Oh, I loved it so much. And I still have some illustrations that I never published. And I always thought this is nice. Sometimes I'm a bit nostalgic about this one. There are some that I don't miss. Like there used to be a time with a lot of outlines again in illustrations. It was cool, but then it started to look not as fresh. I don't know about interaction design though. I think technology now becomes better. So I can't say that I miss something completely. Maybe I miss the, a bit of a physical touch. My phones used to have the, the button on the screen and now it's just completely everything is on the screen and they have so many hidden interactions. You need to mm. swiping or you need to long press. And uh, I don't know if it's just me, but maybe I'm not catching up with all of them. And I'm like, ah, it would be nice if it was just very clear what I need to press or do. Yeah, I actually thought about the hidden interaction part. I remember when my phone had hard press. I think that was kind of nice. But one trend that I kind of miss, and I think it might be making a comeback, but it's something as simple as just 
serif fonts i think we oh, are yes. yeah. it's making a comeback i think it's making a yeah. sort of comeback it's very yeah, cool me, yeah and like those handmade fonts from a hundred years ago i think they they are hard to beat like ages ago i feel like it was always you can't do serif fonts because it won't get picked up by the screen it'll be kind of glitchy but now that we're at such a higher resolution we have this ability I never thought about this until this conversation, but I start to feel like maybe trends are the things designers have wanted to do all along. And just the second the tech catches up, we're yeah. like, we've been waiting for this. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Sometimes we just need to wait. The technology will catch up or yeah, somebody will pick up on it. Because there is kind of this craziness of I feel like maybe there's some design Illuminati out there that's making these choices. But I feel like all at once, all of these companies will launch redesigns that look so similar. And I know being at large companies, redesigns are a year and a half in the making. It's always super under lock and key. You definitely are not consulting with other companies. And so things like, like gradients becoming a huge trend of these pastel or neon gradients. Like how did every company within a six month period seem to kind of change over to that? It does make me wonder how much independent thought designers really have, or how are we getting to these same conclusions? I think it's, as you mentioned, Rachel, about the, the technologies. I feel like motion design just through the recent years becomes so much better with our different tools, like Principle, of course, Figma having their own kind of thing, which I enjoy a lot because it's so easy to use, but also plugins such as like Flow and Art effects, being able to really make the handoff to the developers very easy. That's something that makes us push ourselves because when we have the tools, it's just about making them become reality as long as it is, of course, accessible and good for the user. Yeah. So interesting with gradients, right? Because uh, they were also like a trend from the past kind of, and now it's also sort of a comeback. I remember I used it as well, but before we would approach it, if you want to have some cover, it would be a static image, right? Like we would make a JPEG with a gradient, but it's so much simpler with CSS. And now they can even animate it with, you don't even need JavaScript anymore. I think you can just do it directly in CSS and you can add motion to it. Speaking of motion design, I think that is definitely such a big improvement. And even the tools that you as a motion Flash product designer can use to create motion. Now it's getting better because in the past you would have to stick to something very simple, simple shapes, simple motion, like scale and movement. Now it's becoming like you can add a bit of complexity. I even saw they add 3D motion to some products and they must be finding a way to make it very lightweight so that it doesn't lag when loading. Maybe it's the technology supports and now just also going back to creativity and uh, trying to implement that now it's easier. Maybe that's also the thing why it's coming back. It's easier to do it now. Lottie really helped with bringing in animations in a super light way. I still feel like I see a lot of really cool motion interactions on Dribble that are still quite hard to actually launch at scale in engineering environments. And I hope soon there's some kind of hack that makes it a lot easier. Yeah for those are there any tools or plugins that you're using lately that you're super nerding out on or think uh, are really going to drive your process forward well lottie is definitely one like the body movement plugin it's the go-to definitely then there are some tools just for quick exports like GIF gun 
this is like animation from After Effects. I want to geek out on this plugin called Newton, and this is for After Effects where you can bring objects to life with physics. So there is a script and you can basically tweak the motion that would be very, very close to reality. If, for example, you have a ball pit or something like they have in the theme parks or something, and you want to make the motion how you just dive in there and this whole wave movement, the, the plugin will just do it for you. But it has been around for years, so they must have had some updates, but that is pretty cool in the motion world. I think Jonathan must have better examples for product design, I'm sure. Klarna is really, really, hiring fantastic motion designers and we have some new guidelines out there and flow is basically a way for you to work with predefined easing curves it's as simple as that but it really makes everything become more tied together which i think is a fantastic way to make sure that the motion guidelines that we are uh, applying in our advertisement etc is also being reflected in our product design that's very very important and a very neat way to combine our different contexts as a company but when it comes to product design blender is something that i really really want to get good at because yeah. i think the power of of 3d design and making sure that we are able to to create assets which may once again uh, create a better bridge between materials and our brand and our product design i think that could be a very cool thing to explore more this is a uh, one i wanted to ask throughout your design careers do you feel like you relied or looked on to design trends in different ways i'm not sure i think one really good thing to do when you are a fairly new designer which i still consider myself to be is probably trying to evolve by recreating things that you are inspired by yourself as i work more and more in this kind of area i feel like it's more about the holistic approach to design trends on a higher level i think something that excites me a lot is of course ai and making that more available i have a very good friend who's working at a startup in stockholm called petarian and what they are doing is essentially creating a platform for non-data scientists to be able to apply ai as part of different things that we want to apply it too. So it's basically a way to democratize artificial intelligence, which I think is very, very important. And they're doing a lot of cool stuff. Like they, they would make weather predictions in order for uh, people to understand where and how should I place my crops, etc. And I think that's something that I'm very curious about, uh, especially at Klarna, like how can we utilize AI in a better way? When it comes to like customer service etc i think in the past it was probably the case that i would try to look up for a trend and see if i can just take that trend and replicate in my work i'm now trying to kind of not mindlessly look at it but to really pick the best and try to see what is good what's coming especially with technology and in the past i would only pay attention to visual design trends mm. with uh, without regards to interaction without the regards to user experience flow and we discussed it that this could cause a lot of issues that it looks good on paper it doesn't really work good in this context but now i'm trying to look how applicable that is and not do this mindless kind of you know approach that i just want this trend because it looks cool you need to find balance and I'm trying to pick very, very carefully, but brands need to 
uh, be modern and need, they need to keep up with the changing industry. So you need to keep up with that definitely, but try to be very, very mindful of what you do. Don't just do it with a, just visual design for no purpose. Think about the interaction. You think about how it goes together, marketing and products and things like that. <laughs> yeah, it's all about paying attention to design trends and being mindful of them, but also, of course, still respecting your creative process and what the users that you serve really need. This center is sponsored by the design team at Klarna. It is produced by Francesco Cutolo, Mina Engelmark, Anusha Yusen, and Rachel Rosenson. To learn more about the regular career paths on the Klarna design team, head to klarna.com careers. A special thanks to Carl Riemer for our cover art and Hadrian Eggström, a.k.a. Adenima, for our music. If you want to check out more of his music, go to tinyurl.com slash adenima. Got questions you want to hear from other designers? Write us at descender at klarna.com. See you next time.